ready to grow your business by building relationships online and offline? Are you looking for a system to attract new prospects and nurture your past clients? Maybe you're a business owner, a sales professional, or an entrepreneur. If you are, then great. Join me, Janice Porter, as we blast past your barriers to success and explore the power of relationships for your business. And welcome to the Relationships Rule Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Relationships Rule Podcast. I am your host, Janice Porter, and I have with me today a different kind of guest for my podcast, I think, because he's a lawyer. I don't usually have professionals on here in that sense, but I really wanted to talk to Digby, and his name is Digby Lee. So welcome, Digby, first of all, to the podcast. Thanks, Janice. Um, excited to be here. And of course, we know each other. So I think we'll have some fun today. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's why it's really special, because we do know each other and we go back a long way. We were neighbors. We've been friends. We've been arch rivals on the basketball court with my husband coaching against you. We've had lots of different um, places where our, our lives have um, have crossed paths and, and still today feel that I can call you my friend. But what I love is, OK, Digby's career in um, the law goes back many, many years. He's been a lawyer for what? Uh, you called to the bar in 1982. So you're not quite as old as me, but you're getting there. Anyway, so um, uh, has been uh, in the corporate corporate law world with the big firm, then had a partnership and was in a firm with uh, another uh, really cool guy, Dave Hobbs, David Hobbs, and then um, went out on his own, and I'm going to read this um, for uh, Hobbs and Lee was the beginning, right, operated for the next 13 years. Then you followed your dream by totally immersing yourself in Edgemont Village community with the formation of Digby Lee and company. So that's when you kind of stepped into your own glory. And, um, and by the way, I understand that Edgemont Village uh, looks like it's Christmas there right now. That is absolutely correct. Yeah. And, um, and it is, and it is uh, September, just so my audience knows. Um, so it's about Hallmark movie time, I think. Yes? Yep. Yes, beautiful. Okay, so um, along what fascinated me, though, really, and, and made me want to say to Digby, okay, I, I want you to be on my podcast, were two things. One is that not only do you have a full-blown um, legal practice with um, – many amazing people that work in your office because I've been there, I've worked with you there and it's, and it's, it's a really happy feeling there. It's a really good place. Um, and you also have been huge in community. Like we said, Edgemont village, you've been really um, uh, big in making that the community that it is. And it is amazing community and you're huge in the basketball world. You spent a lot of volunteer time, you know, coaching, you have, um, uh, served um, as the uh, president of basketball BC, as the president of Canada basketball, if I'm correct. Yes. Vice president of Canada basketball. Vice president of Canada basketball. But you've done all of this, all of this stuff as well. And, excuse me, board of directors of Thunderbird Football Association at UBC as well. I only think basketball, but of course, football as well in your world. So, but what, what all of this meant to me was that you have built your business and built your reputation 
around relationships, around community, around the power of people. And I want to just um, I want to just read something here that uh, that is on your website. And this is what did it. Great corporate law doesn't have to feel so corporate. Our clients are our business. It's a pretty simple sentence. But here at Digby Lee and Company it reminds us that every interaction is an opportunity to make a difference to your business and your life. Our handshakes come with a human attached to them. I just loved all that. And it's like most people, when you think law firms, you think, oh God, it's I don't want to go there. It's so, you know, overwhelming or intimidating. And there's none of that at your office. So talk to me about that. Talk to me about how you develop that feeling. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I would say that, uh, first of all, you are who you are. So, you know, I am a, uh, a, a very comfortable extrovert, social, love people. Like I just, um, there's a bit of a joke around here that they won't let me interview anybody for a job because I will hire them. And <laughs> even if they're not the right person, I will want to fix it. And so I'm not allowed to, not allowed to be, not allowed to, and I, I think it's, um, I just enjoy people, period. But if you think about it from a business context and relationships, I think you'd go back to the start of uh, Digby Lee & Co. In, on June 1st of 2005. And we started this business, and I, by we, I mean uh, Wendy Allen and I. Wendy is our COO right now, and we've worked together for close to 25 years, yes. which is actually a long time considering she lives in Maple Ridge. For oh, wow. Yes. Local, um, people that might be listening. So she commutes a fair ways, although it's now really more like two days a week and the rest at home. Mm -hmm. But we built this business around this concept. The concept was, and it, and I, I think I picked it up originally from a professor of mine out at UBC a long time ago, and he wrote a book and he's a stats person and he advises, advises professional services business. But he's a, but what he did is he proved statistically that happy employees correlates positively to happy clients, which correlates positively to profit. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we've really, and you have to dig in to keep, you know, your culture solid to make it a great place because it's bumpy along the way. We're 16 years in. And uh, at the very beginning, I remember we had to dig in and make uh, some changes and it was difficult because they're good people, but just mm -hmm. you know, feel like it was the right thing. And so we, you know, four or five years ago, we went back and we uh, looked at our culture and where we got to and we dug in again. And so making the environment here amazing, which we do a quite a good job of ever, you know, you don't want to ever like go too far but i really feel like we just got crazy good people and janice you were saying like what it feels like when you walk in that's you know people that walk in they are like we know they're coming they're hi janice how are you doing nice mm -hmm. to see you it's so we really focus on those type of things so um yeah and and that and as you said it doesn't come easy you have to work at it you have to keep working at it and um i interviewed a fellow a while back um he was in England, actually, and he has a business, he calls it, I think, the happiness project. But basically, it's around um, going into companies and um, looking at how the employees feel about working there and the environment and everything. And sometimes what he hears from the employees is very different 
from what the um, the management thinks they think. And so that that disconnect, um, the management is usually surprised at that. And so there's a little work that has to be done to move it all around. And and uh, and yet that's the heart of what makes the companies work better, you know, and things improve when those things happen. So I think you're you're absolutely right. So I'm curious, Janice, was were was the conclusion that management thought they were happier than they were? Yes. Yes. And yes. So if I can share a story that sure. so when we when we looked at our culture, we got some outside help because of exactly that. Yeah. And uh, you think you know. And so um, interestingly, I did an internal survey and we ranked all the responses from five is crazy good and one is not was awful. And we asked and I asked everybody personally, where are we one to five? I don't know. I don't want to know why. Yeah. I just want a number. And yeah. so we got 4.25 on average, <laughs> about 30 people. Pretty so sounds pretty good. Mm -hmm. So we then hired a company to come and help us. And they did an anonymous, anonymous as 30 people can ever be <laughs> survey. And uh, they came back with 85, uh, a ranking of 85 out of 100 through all the answers of questions and what have you. And they do mostly tech firms and the average they'd had before was 72. So, wow. so what the, it, we had the opposite answer. So of the rankings at the time, the two lowest rankings were management. We thought the culture was way worse than ah. anybody else felt it. So I think when you juxtapose us against the world, we have a really good culture and it's always been good. And we've always had great people because culture is a compilation of everybody. Yeah. But really, you know, we could see at management that there were some niggly things going on yeah. that we wanted to dig in on. And so we had, so I expected you to say what you did and, but we had the opposite. The opposite, yeah. We were more determined probably on management to have an amazing place than even the employees that worked here. Um, so, funny enough. Cool. Yeah, no, that's really cool. Um, how did you, how have you juggled, you know, the, the, um, I'm not going to say stress because I know you love what you do, but there is stress involved, of course, but the, uh, obligations of your time with work and all of the extracurricular stuff that you've done over the years. I mean, you know, from, I, I know we do the coaching our kids things, but the, the sitting on all these boards and, and, and being as active as you have been across Canada. Now, the truth is I've coached of the 20 years I coached high school basketball, 10 years, my kids weren't involved at all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they were just like a volunteer. So I think the way I juggle is, first of all, I have, um, I was gifted with crazy energy. Like I'm, you know, as you pointed out, I've been at this for a while. Yeah. I'm still perhaps the most energetic person around here. <laughs> I'm the one that comes flying into the office if it was my first day and I'm not doing it. I just, yeah. I'm, I just am full of life and I got gift. I feel like I got gifted that. So that's a big deal. I think the other thing is um, being a, an athlete and having worked with athletes, I really understand the concept. You only control what you control. You know, you, you what you do is you take a step, 
you um, you learn something, then you recalibrate where you're going, and then you take another step and you repeat and you repeat and you repeat. Mm -hmm. And there really isn't anything, any such thing as failure. There is just a result and a learning opportunity and a chance to recalibrate again. And I think if you can ingrain that and you can manage your expectations around that, that's where a lot of the stress comes from. And if you can, you know, just control what you control. And uh, so I really feel fortunate. I think sports is a great microcosm of all of world's um, experiences. And um, so I've been able to, you know, I played sports a lot as a young person and highly competitive. Um, I've been able to parlay that into kind of who I am as a human being. And I, so I think that's, you know, I can remember back in 92, <laughs> sounds like a song or something, but back in 1992, I, um, I, that was the start of the predecessor firm. And we had landed the largest insolvency file ever in the province, $500 million worth of creditors, $300 million worth of um, assets and two coal mines in the Kootenays. Wow. And this was two young guys who were in our 30s and, that we're, and I was working seven days a week, 16 hours a day for four straight months to survive. And that's all I could possibly do. But at the same time, I was coaching a grade 10 basketball team up at Hansworth where I'd run out of an inspector's meeting and say, I actually have to go. I have 12 uh, kids in grade 10 and I am the adult responsible. For yeah. I promise I'll come back. <laughs> I'll be back in two hours, but oh, I got to go right now. And what I found is the business community is highly supportive yeah. of people that, um, that are doing the right thing, if you will, are yeah. helping out or contributing. And I, with all these high powered lawyers and bankers and, accountants they to the last one um always said absolutely go mm -hmm. and so yeah i guess that you know it's a long-winded which of course i know that's okay at. that's okay yeah no that's okay but <laughs> as you were talking about that it was making me think you know how important uh and i've seen it you know you've seen it probably in your kids as well as other people's kids and and for us with my daughter um who played basketball and um and my husband who coached you know with you against you whatever um you guys were always great that whole by the way that whole north shore coaching community was so wonderful because you know as animated as you all got on the court you would go and have a beer together after it was such a community you know like a fraternity in a way anyway um i remember and and this is like I just want to say this because it's happening right now with the US Open tennis on right now. Um, and we were talking when I ran into you actually about Steve Nash sitting in the box at the um, Canadian, the little girl that did you see the tennis, by the way, I went home and watched it last night. I, yeah, I didn't. I, I, I knew I know the result and it's pretty cool. Yeah, uh, was Steve there cool. last night. Yes, he was in her box last night and it was pretty exciting. But here's the thing that I wanted to mention. So way back when, when our kids were in uh, elementary school and you had a vision, you and Kathy Hobbs, or I don't know who it was, but anyway, the start of the Steve Nash League or the, the, the Grizzlies at that time, the Vancouver Grizzlies. So it was the Junior Grizzlies program and we got all that happening and had our little kids playing basketball, right? And that grew into this major thing that basketball grew in the province. It was pretty exciting. And I think you were one of the key people to make that happen. And 
we look at it, it obviously became the Steve Nash League after the Grizzlies were gone and Steve became as famous as he did and um, helped finance it. His foundation helped finance it, I think, as I recall. And then we see him last night in the box on TV of the Canadian little eight, 19 year old who was playing in the semifinals at the US Open. And it's all from here. And it was kind of, it just took me back to all of that, you know, very cool stuff that was happening that you were a huge part of. And I'll never forget that because I think you were probably one of the first people that encouraged my daughter when she was little she wasn't the best player in the world but she played and that took her into and it's a long-winded thing that i'm saying too because what i wanted to say is that she became a much better person from playing basketball from playing a team sport and you see that when you're interviewing people i know you're not allowed to interview people but uh, at work but you must see that people who have that experience make good um, employees because they see things differently. Yeah. It's a long-winded way of saying that, but anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I believe if you can, if you find people that are been able to succeed in sports at a high level yeah. and that all the things that will that allow you to be successful at sports at a high level, like not focusing on the result, but focusing on what you can control will really parlay well into the business. But actually the start of the story, Janice, about, I, I have to, I, I just have to go back. Of there. course. So um, my oldest, who's now 35, um, was in grade one. And I, having coached high school basketball and being passionate, thought, well, there's no opportunity. You know, how do kids that are in grade one, how do they get a chance to play basketball? And so I thought, well, I'm coaching up at Hansworth. I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to start to run a program called, and we called it the fundamentals camp. And actually right. my wife and I put it together ah. and we sent out like randomly and I got basketball BC to support me because yeah. I was on the yeah. board there. We, I went and bought four um, adjustable basketball hoops. That's right. Now I remember. Yes. And, and I got, um, we got the gym up at Hansworth and we sent out flyers to the four uh, feeder schools for Hansworth. And we had a hundred kids in grade two and three. That's right. I know. Yeah. Yeah. And for anybody that's a basketball fan in this area, they'll know Erica McGinnis um, mm -hmm. who played at UBC, Erica, her first time playing was as a great two at that with, fundamentals. With Marissa. No, yeah. Marissa was after that a little bit, right? Uh, so, well, probably about the same time. Yeah. No, I think and it then was that parlayed into basketball BC and create, yeah. when I was president, creating a task force to look at youth basketball in our province. And that's what turned into the, what was junior Grizzlies and became the Steve Nash youth. League. Okay. So, that's right. Yeah. See, I have a foggy memory, but there you go. That was, that's, I remember now, I remember the four basketball hoops and these little kids and how crazy it was. It was, but it was much more fun than watching paint dry at T-ball. <laughs> <laughs> we had a lot of fun with it. The idea was to just give the kids a, like a fun experience yeah. where they would be introduced to a sport and, and like it. And that was the sole objective. And, uh, but, yeah, thanks for bringing back the memory. Yeah, I know it was fun. Okay, I want to come back to the present now, and I want to talk about um, this new piece, Frank. It's called Frank Fee, and it's your new project, I think. And uh, it's really cool because um, it's it's seen as a better way to serve your clients. It's a unique and um, definitely a... Um, out of the box thinking for how lawyers charge 
right? So tell me about that because I think it's quite interesting. Yeah, it's cool. Uh, so for a, so I've been practicing for 40 years yeah. and I was in a large firm, hundred lawyers, yeah. and I've had a partnership for 13 years and I've now done it again. Yeah. I, I've been at it for a long time and I've always enjoyed it. And, but I, for a long time, have believed that the hourly model was not a good model for anybody, to mm -hmm. be honest. Mm -hmm. uh, and so uh, it was on a plane uh, flight back from, from down south in March of 2020, which mm. is most last pleasant. trip ever, right? Last trip, not ever. <laughs> no, no, no. I still haven't been on my next one, but uh, <laughs> I'm back and I'm thinking, uh, what better time to bring certainty for clients than these incredibly uncertain times that we're about to experience. And so that was the catalyst that pushed me over from, uh, from years and years of believing it. And so um, jumped in the deep end with both feet. I gave it a name, Frank Fee, and worked for six months to create the infrastructure in our firm so we could do it. And then launched Labor Day um, exactly a year ago. And so um, it's been a real adventure. The, uh, the sort of follow on to that is feel so strongly about it that from there, uh, with my two sons, Digby and Scott, we've created a company, I founded a company called Alt Fee Solutions. And in that company, we're creating a SaaS product for the entire industry, legal industry worldwide to help them with pricing when they want to move away from hourly billing. So we're excited that launch is just, that's going to probably happen later this fall. I'm um, excited to get the product, which is being developed and, you know, the prototypes out there into our firm um, mm -hmm. to enhance Frank fee. So um, it's become an incredible journey when that's, you think that's really over the last 18 months or so. Yeah. That, and, and we've also learned so much, which I knew we would about moving away from billing by the hour in our firm by actually jumping in the deep end and saying we own it. And so, and so does that um, model, that pricing model, um, because I would expect that um, unless people have read through your website, you know, or um, through word of mouth, know this switch has happened, they're not expecting it. So they come, say, for the first time to um, do business with you and, and you talk about that. Does it make people relieved or does it make people think differently of you as the lawyer that they've come to interview in a way you know they're not sure if they're going to or or is all your business referral based i mean there's kind of a couple of things that come to mind there so, so we're almost exclusively about relationships yeah and we're not transactional at all i mean we yeah. do transactions are uh, are going back to the theme of your podcast <laughs> you know, we built our whole business off of on a relationship basis so we believe when you walk in the door you're walking here for life and we're gonna that relationship is one that's never going to go anywhere else but stay here okay. and recognizing people are constantly making choices but yeah. that's that's our attitude and so um I feel like when people walk in here, usually they're at the very least a warm referral. They're very seldom are they a uh, cold call, but it doesn't really matter when it comes to explaining what you're up to be, because certainty and pricing is so important. And one of the ways we tackle it to make it a little bit, I think, better for clients um, is we often give them options. We go, oh, we could do this. Or if we enhance the scope, and we do this, then it will be a little bit more, or why don't we do this and you can pay monthly, 
or you know, we'll only get paid a part of what we get paid if you have success in completing the M&A transaction. So often on more complex matters, um, we'll give them pricing options. And people really like that because you know they feel like then they have choice, right? Yes, yes, of course. And so I, I don't think I've had anybody, any client come to me in the last year and say, I don't like that. Like, I don't like that idea. We have a few clients that have, have remained grandfathered in with hourly billing that we haven't made change yet, mm-hmm. but it's really pretty few and far between. And um, I think most people, now we have clients that say, Digby, can I get the Frank fee for that? Oh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah. So I think it probably builds trust big time. Uh, well, I, so that trust is, you know, um, an oft talked about topic. So my belief in trust is it's, yeah, I don't think you build it by just saying what you say or by anything that I believe trust is built over time. It's by doing what you said you're going to do. Exactly. And so the way we do that with, um, Frank fee is often we'll segment the, the uh, tasks. We'll say, why don't you come in here? We'll take the small introductory planning phase and this is what we'll do it for. And we, you know, we're going to give you advice. We're going to then meet and talk about it. And this is what it's going to cost no matter what. And then the number will often be a number that's palatable for the client. Mm-hmm. And then trust is then built when you, when you deliver on time, yeah. you deliver what you said, you're as nice as you said you were going to be. Mm-hmm. And you're smiling all the time. And you, you actually return calls and yeah. you like, <laughs> talk to people. And yeah. they go, oh my God, you know, that's when trust is built. Is when yes, of course. You exceed deliver. expectations and right. You know. or at least, how about just like meet your commitments? Really? Do people still not do that? Well, actually, you know, <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> yeah. I had somebody today that I had supposed to have a meeting with at nine o'clock this morning and they booked the call on my scheduling. They wanted to meet with me. And at 10 minutes before that, I get a message saying, I can't meet with you today no explanation, no nothing. And yet they, I mean, I'll give everybody a second chance, but I'm always, I'm always amazed at people that at least she messaged me. Sometimes they just don't show up. And so you right away get a feeling about that. I mean, I do anyway, um, you know, and because I, I could be on my deathbed. I'd still make sure that I told them, you know, that, oh my God, I don't anyway, whatever. So I believe this. um, So there's a quadrant um, that I draw for most people when they arrive at our firm and on one axis is, is being on time and the other axis is level of communication. And I go with lawyers, you cannot be on time and not communicate and you'll still get 50% approval rating. And I said, <laughs> I said in the upper axis, if you're on time and you communicate like heck, you'll be 99%. But the interesting thing is if you're on time, but you don't do a good job of communicating, you'll be down at 75 but if you communicate, 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 you'll be up at 97. So I really believe that a lot of it is communication. We have team norms here that underlie our values. And one of our team norms here is that, you know, we will meet our commitments. And if we can't meet our commitments on time, we will let somebody know in advance. And, but you need to really grind. I, I don't, I don't share your optimism about the world quite so much. I think there's lots of people with challenges and demands. And when it comes to provision of legal services, we're busy and um, you know, it's hard to, you know, it's hard to manage expectations and meet commitments all the time. So 
I think there's lots of room for not doing it sometimes. So being committed to doing it is important. Of course it is. Of course it is. Um, do you think that in um, in the in the world of um, lawyers and and up, um, all of the uh, the younger generation lawyers that come into play, do they have the same um, the same values that you speak of that you know you've learned over the or do you teach that is it inbred in them um because i see with a lot of younger people you know things are different right i mean they just are they communicate differently than we do and um and so i wonder if that if that um plays out i think the values are there um i think there's lots of of uh younger people with the same set of values. I think it's like everything in life, it's how you execute on it, right? You you can fail, you can fall down on your execution at times in terms of being the person that you'd prefer to be. So uh, I'm not sure there's not value alignment. I think sometimes it's hard. I think there's no doubt that, you know, generationally it's very different now. Um, if, you, if you're a young person now and you looked around, your expectations of, how life is going to treat you what might would be at a quite a higher level than you know our parents if you want to go back even further um i think if you go back that far a good life was you know um it would have been um you know i got a i got a roof over my head i got food on the table and i may have a job that keeps like keeping that all going and i got people around me and family and you know now i you know and we're seeing it in in our industry and i think you're seeing it in every industry people are searching for something more well they uh, want to save the world in one way or another right there's that social social responsibility that's much bigger today for sure yeah. for sure and they're searching for um, self-fulfillment in some way that's at a different level i think than it would have been say 75 years ago so um, it's, it's, it just would be very difficult being a young person now. Feel like our lives were a little simpler when we were growing up. Um, and uh, now there's so much information yeah. and yeah. sometimes misinformation. And um, one thing that's an interest, uh, one thing I kind of like I believe is a challenge for society now is critical thinking. Like mm -hmm. I feel like we see, we hear something and we believe it. And, uh, you know, I, I tell everybody around me that doesn't get tired of me. I go, actually, what just happened? It was somebody told you something. Doesn't mean the fact exists, but what happened, the fact is that they told you something. So it's a piece of information or evidence in the legal world. And you, but I, you know, what you can see it every day when you're tired, they'll, someone will, will be completely like, this is what's happening. This is what COVID, and you'll go like, how do you really know that? <laughs> exactly, exactly. But you know, that isn't taught in school very much. We have to teach that individually, I think, unfortunately. Maybe it does get taught with the, the odd teacher and maybe more so at university. Not everybody goes to university either. And um, um, yeah, critical thinking, that's really, that's, that's a, well, lawyers are taught how to be critical thinkers in school i would think but yeah not everybody is um that brings me to um as we 
sort of close up here, it brings me to a question that I do like to talk to my um, people I interview about, and that's the word curiosity, because um, I love that critical thinking thing, but I'm a curious person by nature, and I think you probably are too, but I don't want to put words in your mouth. So do you think that curiosity is innate or learned? And what are you curious about these days? Oh, absolutely learned. Do you? Oh, okay. Uh, well, I, I'm going to side on that side and I'm, okay. I'm going to talk about myself for a second. So I'm a, I'm a, I'm naturally a teller, you know, I have ideas. I, well, I've been telling today. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it, I use an expression and I, I might've picked it up in uh, Renee Brown's book, one of her books, but I'm interested and curious. So I have to train myself, like force myself at times to dig deep enough when somebody's telling me something to say, oh, oh no, no, why was that? And okay, and, and so to ask the third or fourth questions mm -hmm. as opposed to, to hear something and then speak back. You know, what we're doing right now is hearing something and speaking back, but to be interested and curious for me is very much learned, trained, and I ask people around me to watch me, like watch out for me being too much of a teller, not a really good listener and really interested and curious. So, um, and I am interested and curious. I am a learning nut. Like mm -hmm. I, I know that, I know that. That's so I'm, I kind of, that's the innate part. Like in my DNA is so, um, so much that way. But so to me, that's innate curiosity. Yeah, I, I agree. Okay. So, okay. But, okay. But interestingly, there's so much, I guess I'm saying I can learn. And although I'm learning lots and I am processing, I'm, a, I'm, I'm lucky I process information quite quickly. And I, but I also, um, I really believe that maybe there's so much that you, you know, so much of a skill set, if you will, that you can, can be enhanced. So, I love the idea of curiosity and you did forewarn me that you're going to ask about it, which was good. Um, but I really, um, I think it's, I think you can be, everybody can be even more curious and train themselves to make sure that they're pausing to be curious and to keep learning. So there's my thought on that. Okay. No, that's good. That's good. I, I tend to believe, I think along the same lines, I do believe it's innate and I, but I think it can be, squished you know with little kids are so curious and then we say no all the time and then they back off right and and it can change that innate curiosity a little bit um or a lot and then i also think that um that introverts and you and i are not introverts but introverts don't seem to be as curious, gen I, I know I'm generalizing, I'm going actually from a couple of people in my world, introverts seem to not be as curious, but it might be because they're introverted, they're not going to express that as openly and only be curious about things that they're actually interested in instead of about everything. It's really interesting. Curiosity is not about the action. It's about like, the way you look at the world right and right so, and taking action would be more in line with introverted extroverted and how you express yourself that's that's what causes you to like so it's quite when you say it you could be incredibly curious 
just not find a way to express it. And then I was, the other thing I was thinking about, um, as you're saying that is one of my, I, I, you know, when we brought our kids up, we had one goal that was to give them high self-esteem so that they felt good in their own skin so that they could go out to the world and figure it out because you don't get to figure it out for them. They figure right. it out for themselves. And I think we did a pretty good job. You know, our kids, mm -hmm. um, they're, all, they're all pretty comfortable in their own skin and figuring out the world. And that allows you to be curious because you're not worried about the answer because you know, you're okay. Yeah. And, that's a great, that's great. I love that. There's a different thought on it. Yeah. This it's, it's, I'm glad I asked that question because I, I love talking about that and everybody's answer is different. Everybody has their own perspective. And you said something else in the conversation about that, which was about telling or speaking, communicating verbally versus being a good listener. And I'm not saying they're um, mutually exclusive. They're not. But but that's another whole side to it. And another topic for another day is about being an active listener and about listening, not just waiting to speak. 100%. Interested and curious. I love that expression. Yeah, it's, and it's it's being a good person too. Yeah. You know, I, uh, which is, you know, genuinely being interested, not just getting enough information. And so that is a constant work in progress for me. The people that know me well would definitely agree with that. I mean, I have a business coach. I get a lot of feedback on kind of how I come across and uh, I work on that stuff a, a lot which is interesting, right? Mm -hmm. Why am I working on stuff at my stage? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I think that's, that says a lot about curiosity and about the, um, the, uh, the innate uh, need to learn. Cause I'm always like that too. Like I've got, I'm not like you as avid a reader as you. I, I get the books, but I never get the time to, or never take the time to read them. So I have to read one this week, actually, for a book club that I decided to get involved with. So there you go. Anyway, what book are you reading? Well, it's an old book, actually. Uh, I've read it before, but um, it came up in something Secrets of the Millionaire Mind by Harvecker. Do you know? I know of Har Harvecker. Yeah, he's a character. Um, he was yeah. a character. Yeah. Um, but he has some good stuff. It's about your money blueprint and things like that. And he has some good stuff in there. And uh, it's nothing's new. It's all the, you know, everybody's got their own take on it. Um, but for me, doing this project is more about being involved with this group of people to get to know them better and to interact with another group of people that I'm just getting to know. So that's the curiosity piece for me. That's the learning piece. That's the relationship piece that I love. Yeah. It's not about the book so much. I agree. I'm in a book club as well. And we're reading the, I think it's the heart of business by the former CEO of Best Buy. And uh, it's, it's about, um, Kind of his concept of the new capital and capitalism and how that works and how people focus that is it's an interesting read um i'm about halfway through it but it's i've read enough um either i my, i'm known for reading self-help books, yes, or business books. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. and i've read enough that you know everything does fit together one way or another but i find that there's usually a nugget out of every every book you read and you find that and it's a nugget at the time it's like, oh, that really resonates with me right now. Mm -hmm. uh, 
So I take it for what for that. And I, I in my notes and my iPhone, I always make a few notes of the one or two things that I really that I want to kind of have there and go back and look at occasionally. So I once took a, co a course called um, Your Sacred Gifts, and there's 24 sacred gifts. And one of them is a gift of learning and a gift of teaching, encouragement, all of these different things, trust. There's a whole bunch of them. And one of when the person that was teaching it was talking about um, the gift of learning, and she said something about how many of you have a stack of books beside your bed, and how many of them have you read? And you know, a lot of people, including myself, said, "Well, I've started a lot of them, but I never finished some of them." And what she said was that probably means that you've taken what you needed out of that book. And I, I just. That was like permission to just say, oh, I'm okay that way. And you just sort of said that in that you've read enough to know about the book, right? About the premise in the book. And, and I always went, oh, okay, I like that. I don't have to finish it because there's so many books out there. So I'll be an advice giver now. Move the book from the side of your bed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm done with it. Yeah, exactly. Put it in the, put it in the bookshelf. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So... Digby, this has been delightful. Thank you so much for spending the time with me and my listeners. And um, I wish you well with Frank Fee and the um, app that's coming. And I would like to encourage my listeners, um, if you liked what you heard, and please leave us a um, leave us a review and do subscribe to hear more episodes. But if you're interested in what Digby has to say about the new way of pricing for lawyers he has check him out on linkedin first of all at digby lee uh digby there's an initial in there could be it'd be r then if there's yeah, an digby r lee i said and, it so long ago <laughs> <laughs> and he has a newsletter all about that that you can uh find out about and um and get on that uh that list and read it because it's quite fascinating. So I wish you well. And I thank you so much for being with us today. Do you have any last words for my audience? Yeah, just, I, I had a blast. I, um, I love like digging into topics and, and I believe that these conversations are so important. So really good that you're doing what you're doing. Um, I guess the only uh, plug I'll make is that mm -hmm. the name of the, the SaaS product that we're producing for the legal industry is alt fee. Um, and our uh, website is altfeeco.com. So okay, I'll put that in the show notes. Yeah. So okay. if you okay. want to find out a bit more about that, Perfect. we're really excited. We just got so much worldwide traction on it. We think that we're in a lane that everybody's interested in. And we think that we have a lot of credibility in part because I've been at it for 40 years and I'm not a young person trying to change the world. I'm a person that's lived through a lot of different things and I still think that there's a better way perhaps in a way that we want to get introduced to people and and have a, a robust conversation around all right i'll make sure all of that information is in the show notes and uh thank you again for listening and remember to stay connected and be remembered thank you so much for listening to the podcast today if this show has inspired you to reach out to connect to someone new or nurture a current or past relationship, and you think that others can benefit from listening, please share this episode. If you have feedback or questions about the episode, please leave a note in the comment sections below. 
If you would like to receive automatic updates of new podcast episodes, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or from the podcast app on your mobile device. Ratings and reviews from my listeners are extremely valuable to me and greatly appreciated. They help the podcast rank higher on iTunes, which exposes my show to more awesome listeners like you. So if you have a minute, please leave an honest review on iTunes. And remember to stay connected and be remembered.